0: Hello, I'm Colina Presnell. And hi, I'm Jenny Joseph. Welcome to Episode 3 of our Gift of Friendship podcast. In past episodes, we've spoken to people about their survival from blood diseases after bone marrow transplant. But in this podcast, Dr Sam Milliken, Head of Haematology at St Vincent's Hospital, will talk about survival of blood diseases with alternative therapies. Our first guest is the wonderful Patria King, who survived acute myeloid leukaemia in 1983. Patria is the founding director of the Quest for Life Foundation. She's written nine best-selling books with inspirational stories of healing and peace, and she's a leader in holistic health. Patria has brought warmth, humour and wisdom to thousands since her recovery, and
1: she's here to tell her story. Hi, Patria. Hi, it's lovely to be with you. Thank you.
0: Tell us your story.
1: Uh, yes, look, in 19, it was actually 1983 in September. Right. I was living in America. Yeah. And I'd been through, in the preceding couple of years, a lot of trauma, which included the suicide of my brother and the separation from my husband, and mm-hmm. also changed countries to live in. And I had two small children who were four and seven. Mm-hmm. And um, I became very ill very quickly, and I had a, two bone marrow um, biopsies. biopsies. Yeah. And in the space of those two, or, or looking at those two, I was told that I wouldn't see Christmas of that year yeah. and that there was really only some experimental chemotherapy that was available to me in America at that time. And because I was a foreign national, uh, then it was going to be very expensive and also I, I had to come back to where i had some support and care and that treatment wasn't available in australia also uh, i was told that it would extend my life by a few weeks but it wouldn't give me either a remission or a cure mm-hmm. and you know i was a naturopath i'd studied naturopathy because i'd had three years in hospital as a teenager having many surgeries to my legs for an unrelated reason and i i think I was in such a depressed state at that time and a grief-stricken state at that time because I felt very responsible for my brother and he'd told me before he was 10 that he knew he had to take his own life by the time he was 30 and so I'd always grown up feeling like that's why I'm here. I'm here to make sure that he stays safe and I remember thinking I have to grow up really quickly to look after him and I did grow 23 centimetres in the next 15 months. And that's what really deranged the bone growth in my legs and landed me in hospital for a few years. So for me, I was relieved when I was first diagnosed because I felt that life had already been too challenging, too difficult Mm -hmm. with chronic pain. I lived with um, a facade where I was someone very privately to myself, but there was another version that I kept highly polished for everybody else. Yeah, And I was tired of life, even though I was only 33 and my children were four and seven. But that sense of relief didn't last very long because my children were so young. And I felt also that I haven't lived yet. I haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't done what I came here to do. I don't know what that is, but I haven't done it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my pathway was probably quite a different pathway to many people. Mm-hmm. My mother came up to America, packed me up, brought me back to Australia. It's a much longer story, but I ended up in a little cave outside of Assisi in Italy. And when I went into that little cave where St. Francis used to retreat to, yes. um, I felt like I'll either find peace in this cave or I'll die in this cave, but I'm not coming out. <laughs> and I spent several months there. So, And how did you get there? Oh, look, it's a much longer story. I was working as housekeeper and secretary to a swami in America when I was diagnosed. And he was about to go to Italy to lecture. And he took me with him, uh, with a whole group of people uh, to Italy. And then we'd only been there for a short time. Uh, And as I said, it is a much longer story. And I, I left there and it was a very painful time for me. And I just needed the sweetness that I'd felt in Assisi. It's a very beautiful place and there's a lot of sweetness and kindness in the surroundings there. So for me, being in the cave was actually a wonderful blessing because it was quiet. I could weep the tears. I'd never wept up until then. In our family, we didn't do weeping. We did coping. (laughs) we had coped with everything. Yeah, okay. and I left out most of the colourful things that had happened, but mm-hmm. there had been a lot of challenging things that had happened in our family, and I'd always just coped. Mm-hmm. And that split facade I found very painful. In fact, I heard myself one day think I'd rather die than continue living like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I began to weep, that was the first time I'd ever wept in my life. That is an
0: outstanding story of survival, Patria. And I I came to one of your groups about, uh, I think in 19, no, it was 2003 or 2004. And I found it most inspiring. So if any of our patients who are listening to this and they'd like to get in touch with you and join up with one of your groups or your retreats, how do they get in touch with you?
1: Oh, they're very welcome to have a look at the website, which is questforlife.com.au. I also do an online meditation every Monday night through Patria King Meditation Group on Facebook. Um, Our facilitators present things live on Facebook three times a week. Uh, So there's lots of resources there for for people. And we do 34 five-day programs a year here at Quest and about hundred workshops out in the community. And we're about to build more accommodation so people can actually stay here for a longer period so we're always very happy to see people.
0: I think it's going to be fantastic you being on here because then people will have a way to go after and a lot of people take a long time to get over the treatment. Oh
1: indeed indeed it's exhausting Yeah, and nothing prepares you. I had a lot of bone pain Yes, and and sweats and yeah. uh, nothing prepares you really, no, that- uh, for such a tumultuous experience. And uh, but there is hope, and there is the possibility of healing, which is different from curing. Curing is about the body; healing is about the heart and the mind and the spirit. And healing is always possible. And what we find is when people find healing, yes. it has a profound impact, a positive impact on their physical body as well.
0: Yeah, you're right, and. Our next podcast is going to be on breast cancer. We have a number of people who are going to talk about their journeys uh, on breast cancer, and we have an oncologist who will also talk to us. And then we're going to do a whole podcast on meditation. Wonderful. Because I actually put a CD together a number of years ago uh, called Calm the Mind and Allow the Body to Heal.
1: Yes.
0: But uh, what I've done is limited compared to what you're able to do one quick question
2: before you go um what at what point in your journey did you start quest for life
1: look when i when i went into remission when i came back from italy and i had all the blood tests again they said look you're in a remission and you weren't meant to have one and it won't last and i actually found that more challenging because by then i had my whole life all packed up in this little suitcase already for the big trip and -hmm. then the plane got cancelled and i was faced with how much do you unpack Mm -hmm. and so it was about seven years uh, when my now partner said to me you know you might not die and (laughs) you don't actually have a life (laughs) because I just worked all the time in the 80s thinking I just want to get my children as fully cooked as I could and do this work until I went out of remission I I fully expected to die so Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I fought for my life at all. And so uh, I started the foundation in 1989 and the Quest for Life Centre, we bought this beautiful property in 1998. uh, 1998. And so we've been here for 20 years now running the programs.
0: Thank you. And I'll be in touch, Patria. Lovely.
1: Thanks so much, Jenny and Kalina.
0: Well, Jenny, Patria has an incredible story of survival. And what an outstanding job that she's done helping others through their journey to recovery. She doesn't only help people with uh, physical illnesses, but she helps a lot of people in various areas of personal trauma. And I know at the moment she mentioned that she's very busy helping people through this COVID, you know, people who are anxious and, you know, feeling, uh, you know, mentally unstable. And Finding it hard to cope, so she's doing a lot of work in that regard. You're right,
2: Kalina. For me, she's a testament to how having a healthy
0: mindset can
2: have a positive impact on your personal recovery.
0: Yeah, that's right. Isn't she fantastic? And she said about, uh, and she wasn't supposed to survive. She kept, she kept saying that. That was fantastic. It was a bit like when I was going through my journey, and my brother said to me. Cole, you're the only person that knew you were going to make it. I have with me Sam Milliken, who's a senior haematologist here at St Vincent's Hospital. In fact, Sam's the head of the department. And Sam, I mean senior in terms of time that you've been here, not your age. (laughs) We've talked about autologous transplants and allergenic and the Australian Bone Marrow Donor Registry. I'd like you to talk about alternative treatments. If a patient doesn't, uh, uh, you decide that a patient is not going to have a bone marrow transplant. So could you talk a little bit about alternative treatments?
3: Thanks, Glenna. Yes, I'm happy to. Uh, Perhaps before I do talk about alternative therapies, we should just go back a step and just talk about why someone might not be right candidate to have a bone marrow transplant and I think we're talking now more about donor type transplants rather than autologous where you use the patient's own stem cells and there are two main issues with having a donor type transplant. One you've got to have a disease that you know is going to do well if you have a donor transplant Uh, and two you need to have a patient who you know is going to be fit to have the procedure because as you are well aware, it's potentially a very high-risk procedure, Mm -hmm. a potentially life-threatening procedure. Uh, And sometimes, even if a person doesn't lose their life, they can be left with chronic illness and problems associated with some Mm -hmm. of the complications of the Mm -hmm. procedure. So it's really important Mm -hmm. to try and get things right up front, Mm -hmm. to pick people who you think will do well with the transplant but also will survive or get through the transplant. Mm -hmm. So the sort of things you have to think about is... How old is the patient? You know, when I started out, and thanks very much for reminding me of my age, <laughs> when I started out, uh, we really, you know, this was 30 years ago, we were seriously uh, 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 were reluctant to transplant people uh, over the age of 40 years. Mm-hmm. Then it became 50 years, then it became 60 years, and now we might even go up to 70 years of And age. I was 50, and yeah. you thought that was too
0: old 20 years No, ago. that was my <laughs>
3: other senior colleague who thought that. Uh, you didn't ask my opinion at the time, <laughs> so, so, so um, we've made great advances in making the procedure safe but we're not there completely yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other big factor that might mean someone's not fit uh, is uh, if they have serious other health illnesses. Yes. You know, if, if your lungs aren't as good as they should be, if your heart's not as good as it should be, if your kidneys aren't working as well as they should or the liver's not working then I'm afraid that sets up a scenario where you might get through the first part of the transplant, but then the lungs could fail, or the heart Mm -hmm. would fail, or the kidneys or the liver might fail. Mm -hmm. And so it's one thing to try and get rid of the disease, but you don't want to run to the old surgical aphorism that the procedure was a success, but the patient died. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to make sure that it's in the best interest of the patient and it's safe for the patient. The other factor is the disease. Some diseases, the chance of curing them is not so good. And we now have much better handles on diseases like acute myeloid leukemia. We used to think of it 30 years ago as one bad cancer. We now know it's lots of different sorts of cancer that has the same overarching label. And we now have lots of what we call molecular tests, which help us to better identify Uh, the differences in the disease and which patients are much more likely to relapse compared to those who might uh, have a lower risk of relapse and that's actually also been a good thing. It's meant some people who have a relatively good prognosis, uh, we now know the chance of curing them with chemotherapy alone uh, is perhaps as good as having a transplant up front. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to put them through the risk of having a transplant when they're in what we call first remission. Yeah. which is when you first get control of the disease. Mm-hmm. So that's been a major step forward in the last 20-odd years. Uh, and we also know, and this hasn't changed, unfortunately, in the last 30 years, if the disease isn't under control, if the leukaemia is still active, if you've still got leukemic blast cells in the blood, um, then the disease uh, won't do well with a transplant. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll get a short-term remission, but the disease will inevitably, inevitably come back. Mm-hmm. So in that situation, it's not in the patient's best interest to have a transplant because mm-hmm. you take on all the risk with very little chance of success.
0: Mm-hmm. But so many of us do survive.
3: Oh, yeah, they do. They do. But but, mm-hmm. but what I'm, I am guess I'm saying is mm-hmm. that we've become much better mm-hmm. at picking the people who are going to survive yes. and are going to do well and, more importantly, aren't going to get nasty long-term complications. Mm-hmm. All That's right? Right. Yeah. Um, so, so it's not... The best treatment for everyone but let's talk now about what are the alternatives oh yeah okay all right Mm -hmm. so so the alternatives are things like having more chemotherapy Mm -hmm. but as most people would be aware that 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 generally doesn't solve the the problem it Mm -hmm. helps keep the disease under control and at bay for maybe a year or two and then then inevitably for people who we know have high risk of relapse the disease comes back Mm The major breakthrough though in other treatments in the last uh, 10 years in particular has has been what I alluded to earlier, this being able to identify the molecular nature of the cancer, Mm -hmm. particularly for a cancer like acute myeloid leukemia, but also cancers like acute lymphoblastic leukemia, another Mm -hmm. relatively common indication for a transplant, and also in high grade lymphomas, another Mm -hmm. uh, fairly common indication for a transplant these days. Those, understanding those molecular mechanisms um, has not only helped us to decide what the chances are of someone doing well or not so well with a transplant, but it's also led to the development of new treatments that actually target those abnormal molecular uh, uh, proteins. Uh, And look, this treatment is still pretty much in the early days. Uh, but we have seen quite a few new agents which have become available in the last few years mm-hmm. which really can help if control the disease and I think in the longer term offer us a chance of curing the disease perhaps without needing to do a transplant.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Um,
3: so we're very hopeful that that, uh, that, that research and those uh, discoveries will continue and lead to much better outcomes.
0: Yeah, great. Oh, well, moving ahead, moving right. forward.
3: I mean, there's also some some new antibody-based treatments mm-hmm. that target particular sorts of leukaemia, mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. around the lymphomas and uh, acute lymphoblastic leukaemia, mm-hmm. uh, which look very promising. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other treatment that's looking very promising is a thing called CAR T-cell therapy oh, yes, or right. CAR NK cell therapy. Mm-hmm. CAR, C-A-R, mm-hmm. is not an automobile. It stands for chimeric <laughs> antigen receptor, which is a long-winded way of saying that on T-cells there are proteins that recognise other cells Mm -hmm. and CAR T-cell therapy is a way of turning on these cells to attack the cancer Mm -hmm. and there have been very promising early results again particularly for acute lymphoblastic leukaemia and for high grade lymphoma where this therapy uh, we
0: hope will cure some cases. So can I just interrupt there, so is that for an autologous? is that when you take the stem cells from the donor, from the patient and then you give them this treatment this t cell
3: well it's both autologous and allogeneic where you use donor oh. cells mm-hmm. the initial studies were on autologous t cells right and most of the car t cell treatments are mm-hmm. autologous t cells mm-hmm. where you take the patient's t cells out uh, you label them Uh, with an antigen and an attack protein associated with the antigen. The antigen is directed against a protein on the cancer cell. Mm -hmm. And so what this allows is it switches on the T cell to attack the cancer cell and kill it. So you give them more ammunition. More ammunition, a different Mm -hmm. sort of bullet. (laughs) Uh, That can have its problems because Mm -hmm. sometimes when you switch on the immune system, it decides to attack normal tissues. Mm -hmm. So there still is a risk with that procedure, but it's a lower risk than with a, a donor transplant. Mm-hmm. The interesting next step is these cells we call NK or natural killer cells. They're immune cells which aren't uh, sort of necessarily recognized as self or non self, which is what leads to this issue about autologous versus donor. Mm-hmm. And they're looking very promising. They're also immune cells that will kill. Uh, they'll kill germs but also cancer cells Mm -hmm. and again you use the similar sort of mechanism as as you do with the t-cells to switch them on to attack the cancer cells Mm -hmm. and they look a a safer bet Mm -hmm. they look a safer bet they're Mm -hmm. less likely to attack normal tissues Mm -hmm. but they're only in the very early stages of development compared to the t-cell therapy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the sort of diseases where car t-cells have looked very promising i think i mentioned were acute lymphoblastic leukemia high-grade lymphoma, and uh, probably also multiple myeloma.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, There's a
3: lot going on there. Yep, <laughs> it's, uh, it's always very hard to keep up in hematology. <laughs> it is.
0: Anything yeah. to say about COVID.
3: Uh, COVID? Yeah, look, COVID's an issue. COVID's a problem. We're very lucky in Australia that mm-hmm. um, it hasn't been a big issue for us. Um, I've only had one patient of all my patients who actually got the virus and he got it from work. He didn't get it coming into the hospital. Was yeah. He was very sick and, and we think the reason he was very sick is because of the treatment we were giving him, prevented him from mounting his own antibody response mm-hmm. to the virus. Mm-hmm. And one of my infectious diseases colleagues at another hospital looked after him, actually gave him donor serum, gave him someone oh. else's antibodies. Oh, right. uh, and he, uh, he started to get better immediately after oh, that. Oh, and he's okay. fitting well now.
0: Oh, terrific. And so how long do you think before we get a vaccine? Oh,
3: I think the the research in the vaccine has been, sorry, I should say vaccines, plural, has been phenomenal. Mm. Uh, And they look highly effective. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about the vaccines is they actually look like they might provide a better antibody response to the coronavirus than Mm. actually having the infection yourself. Yeah and a longer lasting response Mm -hmm. and there's three vaccines which will probably become available and I'd be hopeful that we'll have at least one vaccine, uh, the the Oxford vaccine, we won't have the Dolly Parton vaccine.
0: (laughs) And is that going to be a problem for someone like me who's had a, a bone marrow transplant?
3: It could, because once you've had a bone marrow transplant, as you know, your immune system is chronically suppressed, mm-hmm. some people more than others. If you have a very suppressed immune system, you may not be able to respond to a vaccine. Mm-hmm. But the simple answer to that question is we don't know yet.
0: Right. right?
3: No. Uh, we have the ability to, to measure these antibodies to to, mm-hmm. to vaccines, the, the coronavirus vaccine, as well as other vaccines, like measles vaccines, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... Um, uh, we'll soon find out mm-hmm. the other good bit of news is these vaccines don't use what we call live attenuated virus yes. they use they use proteins from mm-hmm. the virus they're dead proteins so mm-hmm. it's you can't actually give someone coronavirus by right. giving them one of these mm-hmm. vaccines whereas with live attenuated vaccines for example the measles vaccine mm-hmm. we're very loath to give it to someone who has a very suppressed immune system because mm-hmm. it could actually give them measles. and the
0: yellow fever
3: Yellow yeah, fever is another system, example yeah. of a live attenuated mm-hmm. vaccine. Typhoid is another live attenuated mm-hmm. vaccine. Mm-hmm. So we, we love to give those vaccines to people who have immune, uh, significantly suppressed immune systems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can do blood tests on patients to work out just how suppressed their immune system is mm-hmm. to, to help guide us to make the right decision as to whether they should have a vaccine or not. Right. Good. And those people will still be protected by the vaccine even if they don't have it, because if we vaccinate probably 80% of people, mm-hmm. then we'll achieve what we call herd immunity. Right. So the 20% who don't have the vaccine will still be protected because the mm. virus won't be able to spread through the community and get to them.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. That was great talking yeah. to you and very informative. Thank you. Thank you. Time to talk books and podcasts. Yes, Cole. What have you got for us? Well, my first novel is a book titled Dear Edward by Anne Napolitano. It's a fascinating novel about a 15-year-old boy who survives a plane crash where 187 people are killed on the the plane uh, and his whole family and how he copes with life after the
2: crash. That sounds really interesting. My novel is called Someone Knows My Name by Canadian author Lawrence Hill. Um, It's a story about Aminato Diallo, a young African girl from the Fula tribe who is kidnapped at the age of 11 by British slave traders and taken to Carolina. Mm. It tells her life story Mm -hmm. from capture to eventual freedom. Mm -hmm. It's an epic read. You'll not be able to put it down. Mm -hmm. Um, I have an extract that I'd like to read from it. Um, because the the language of the book is just so great. Um, It goes, But I have long loved the written word and come to see it in the power of the sleeping lion. This is my name. This is who I am. This is how I got here. In the absence of an audience, I will write down my story so that it waits like a restful beast with lungs
0: breathing and heart beating. Oh, that's beautiful. Beautiful, isn't it? My second... Uh, recommendation it's a book that i think everybody should read too it's called fortunate life and it's written by albert Facey. he writes about his uh, his return from gallipoli and how he copes with life after the war you know the title A fortunate life when you read the book you think it's he hasn't had a fortunate life at all so that's my second recommendation and that's based on a real you know a real-life story. A real life story yeah.
2: And for your podcast,
0: I don't what's have your any, recommendation no, today? I don't, I don't have any recommendations, but I have been listening to that podcast that I did recommend before, On Guard. And there is a, a, an episode on freedom and how they prepare uh, prisoners to be out, you know, out of jail. And I thought that was fascinating. And I thought it was fascinating because in my book, Lash Me Fair... Henry was actually a pioneer of that. You know, he taught uh, the prisoners how to knit and how to do carpentry, and he prepared them, and that was in 1860, 1870. So I thought that was, you know, quite relevant for that. The other thing we forgot to say is how people can buy Lash Me Fair.
2: That's right. It's actually on your website, that's isn't right. it? That's right. dot .au,
0: yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's good. So good. What, what podcasts have you got?
2: Well I've got an interesting podcast it's called The Dropout um, and it's based on the book Blood Money which tells the story of Elizabeth Holmes, a university dropout who styled herself on Steve Jobs from what she wore to uh, the way she spoke and it tells the story of how she managed to raise billions based on a business that was a fraud and she actually hoodwinked people like Henry Kissinger and mm. Rupert Murdoch to invest mm. in her company. Oh oh. um, it's really, it's an amazing story mm. um, and really
0: worth listening to. Blood money. And what, what was that word you said? She was ther- Theranos. what was that?
2: Theranus was the name of her company okay. Yeah, okay. that she started. Right. Okay. And um, it really is amazing that you know a university dropout, she had the gift
0: of the gab, she yeah. was able yeah. to sell ice to Eskimos. Yes, talking about scamming Jenny, just recently we saw a movie, it's a French-African movie, called All the Animals, where a farmer connects to the internet to find and flirt with a young lady. He eventually connects with a very sexy looking young girl and starts an online relationship with her and she scams him for thousands. But then you see the other side of the relationship, which is actually six teenage boys in a small village in Africa who are using the girls' pictures to scam this guy.
2: That sounds hilarious, Kalina. Mm -hmm. I definitely think I'll add that to my list.
0: Yeah, good idea.
2: (laughs) Well, Cole, we've come to the end of episode three and it's time to wrap up.
0: It is indeed. So, once again, thank you, Jen, and thank you to our listeners. My quote for today is from Dr. Franz Alexander. He said The more serious the illness, the more important it is for you to fight back, mobilizing all your resources spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and physical.